Lesson 10 for February 27 to March 5, Doing the Unthinkable, and read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, February 27. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the book of Isaiah we learn so much about you, we learn so much about Jesus, we learn so much about how you know what's going to happen and how you make it happen and how that we can put our trust in you. And we pray that as we open your word this week, as we look at doing the unthinkable, we pray that your spirit will guide us and may we not only come to love you more, but understand you more we too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Let's read that again, Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Lof Fook, a Chinese Christian, was moved with compassion for those of his compatriots who had become slaves in South American mines. He wanted to give them the hope of the gospel, but how could he have access to them? His solution was to sell himself for a term of five years as a slave. He was transported to Demerara, where he toiled in the mines and told his fellow workers about Jesus. Lof Fook died, but not until 200 people were liberated from hopelessness by accepting Jesus as their saviour. Such amazing self-sacrifice for the good of others. What an example. By doing the unthinkable, that is, humbly taking the form of a slave, as we read in Philippians 2 verse 7, Jesus too had reached the unreachable. You and me and all the world steeped and lost in the abyss of sin. This week, we'll see this incredible event prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Sunday, February 28, Isaiah's Testing Truth If Isaiah intended to convey only information, he would lay out all the details regarding the Messiah at once. But, in order to teach, persuade, and give his audience an encounter with the servant of the Lord, he develops a rich fabric of recurring themes in symphonic fashion. He unfolds God's message in steps so that each aspect can be grasped in relation to the rest of the picture. Isaiah is an artist whose canvas is the soul of his listener. Question. Read Isaiah 50 verses 4 to 10. Summarise what these verses are saying. How do you see Jesus in this passage? Isaiah 50 beginning at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear of as the learned. 
The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who knows about the fears of the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. We found in Isaiah 49 verse 7 that God's servant is despised, abhorred, and the slave of rulers. But that kings shall see and stand up, princes and they shall prostrate themselves. Here in Isaiah chapter 50, we learn that the valley is deeper for the gentle teacher whose words sustain the weary. As you read in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The path to vindication leads through physical abuse, as we read in verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This abuse sounds bad to those of us in modern Western cultures. But in an ancient Near Eastern culture, honour was a life and death matter for a person and his or her grip. If you insulted and mistreated someone like this, you'd better be well protected. If they got half a chance, the victim and or his clan would surely retaliate. King David attacked and conquered the country of Ammon, as we read in Second Samuel 10 verses 1 to 12, because its king had merely seized David's envoys, shaved off half the beard of each, cut off their garments in the middle of their hips, and sent them away, as verse 4 tells us. But in Isaiah 50, people strike the servant, painfully pluck out hairs from his beard, and spit at him. What makes these actions an international, intercosmic incident is that the victim is the envoy of the divine King of Kings. In fact, by comparing Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 and Isaiah 11, 1 to 16 with other servant passages, we found that the servant is the King and Mighty Deliverer. Let's read those texts. Isaiah 9 beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even for ever. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And Isaiah 11, beginning at verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist." The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who were left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shina, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind he will shake his fist over the river, and strike it in the seven streams, and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people, who will be left from Assyria, as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. But with all this power and honour, for some unthinkable reason, he does not save himself. This is so strange that people didn't believe it. At Jesus' cross, leaders mocked him. Luke 23:35. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. And Matthew 27:42. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. And so to finish the day. Read through Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 10. Write down the spiritual principles depicted here that should be applied to our own lives. Look at yourself in light of the list you make. In what areas could you do better? If discouraged, then read on for the rest of the week. Let's do that. Isaiah 50, 
beginning at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak, a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I will set my face like a flint, and know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Monday, March 1, The Suffering Servant Poem Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to chapter 53, verse 12, known as the Suffering Servant Poem, confirms Isaiah's reputation as the Gospel prophet. In harmony with the excellence of the Gospel, the poem towers above other literature. Though breathtakingly short, Every phrase is packed with profound meaning that reveals the core of God's unthinkable quest to save a race steeped and lost in sin. This is not the milk of Isaiah's word. He has prepared his audience by developing the messianic theme from the early part of his book. In following the overall course of the Messiah's life on earth, the prophet started with his conception and birth in chapter 7, verse 14, introduced his identity as a divine Davidic king in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, elaborated on his work of restoration for Israel in chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, and quiet ministry of liberation from injustice and suffering in chapter 42, verses 1 to 7. Then Isaiah revealed that the Messiah's grand drama included the contrast of tragedy before exaltation in chapter 49 verses 1 to 12 and chapter 50 verses 6 to 10. Now the suffering servant poem plums the depth of the tragedy. Question. Go back over those sections listed in the paragraph above. Review what they tell us about the Messiah, Jesus. How do they help to prepare us for what's coming in Isaiah 52 and 53? Or do they simply make what happens in Isaiah 52 and 53 more striking? Let's go to those texts we just mentioned. Isaiah 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and peace, from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist." The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there will be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shina, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations. He will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind he shall shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And Isaiah 42, 1-7, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. 
Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And chapter 49, verses 1 to 12. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth, to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed upon the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look! those from the north and the west, and those from the land of Sinim. And Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 10. Also the sons of the foreigner, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour, all you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. 
Now the suffering servant poem plums the depths of tragedy. Question, go back over those sections listed in the above paragraph, which we've just read. Review what they tell us about the Messiah, Jesus. How do they help to prepare us for what's coming in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53? Or do they simply make what happens in Isaiah 52 and 53 more striking? We'll find out as we read those verses. Isaiah 52, 13-53, verse 1, introduces the poem with a preview containing a stunning contrast. The servant will prosper and be exalted, but his appearance will be marred beyond recognition. Who can believe it? Beginning at Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53 verses 2 and 3 begins a painful descent from the servant's origin and ordinary appearance to his sorrow and rejection. As we read, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6 pauses to explain that his suffering is really our punishment, which he bears to heal us. Beginning at verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and... By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 verses 7 to 9 continues the innocent servant's descent to the grave. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In Isaiah 53, 10-12, the servant ascends to the exalted reward foreseen at the beginning of the poem, starting in Isaiah 52:13. So let's read, beginning at verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labour of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Compare this poem to the valley shape of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, where Jesus begins in the form of God, but descends by emptying himself to take on the bondage of human form, humbling himself down to death, and the lowest of all deaths, death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalts him so that everyone should acknowledge him as Lord. Let's reread this amazing piece of literature. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore God highly exalts him, so that everyone should acknowledge him as Lord. As we read in Isaiah 49, verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him who the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. And so to finish the day, it suggests that we read the whole of Isaiah 52:13 to 53:12 again and write down everything the poem says that Jesus has done for us dwell on what those actions in our behalf mean to us and i'll leave you to do that because we've just got it recorded here Tuesday, March 2. Who has believed? In Isaiah 52, verse 13, God's servant is highly exalted, but without warning, the next verse describes his appearance as so disfigured he cannot be recognized as one of the sons of men. The New Testament describes the factors that marred Jesus' appearance, including scouring, a crown of thorns, crucifixion, but above all, bearing the sins of the human race. Sin was never intended to be natural for humans. Bearing it made the Son of Man appear inhuman. 
Compare this with the story of Job, who suddenly plummeted from a position of great wealth, honour and power to a miserable wretch sitting among ashes on the ground and scraping his painful sores with a potsherd. Job chapter 1 and verse 2, that story is contained. The contrast was so great that not even Job's friends recognised him at first, as you read in Job's 2 and verse 12. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognise him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. The question is, why does Job suffer? Why must God's Messiah suffer? Neither deserve it. Both are innocent. Why then does suffering? Question. Read through the verses for today's study and write down the places where the theme of the innocent suffering for the guilty appears. What is the essential message there for us? Well, let's read that in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 to chapter 53 verse 12 that we read yesterday, but let's read it again. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider." Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labour of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Look at the questions in Isaiah 53, 1. 
Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? These questions emphasize the challenge of believing the unbelievable and warn us to sit down for the rest of the story. Let's compare this with John twelve thirty-seven to 41 But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he wrote, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, and spoke of him. But the questions also imply an appeal. In this context, the parallel between the two questions implies that the Lord's arm or power of salvation is revealed to those who believe the report. As we read in Isaiah 52.10, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Do you want to experience God's saving power? Then believe the report. So to finish the day, look carefully at Isaiah 53 verse 6. What is the specific message there? What is that text saying to you personally that should give you hope despite your past sins and failures? Isaiah 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wednesday, March 3. The unreachable is us. Like a vulnerable plant, apparently of no special value and despised, that's the depiction we are given here of the suffering servant. Let's look at this in Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Isaiah has quickly brought us through innocent youth to the brink of the abyss. Even with the background provided earlier, we are not prepared in the sense that we are resigned to the servant's fate. To the contrary, Isaiah has taught us to cherish the child born to us, the supreme prince of peace. Others despise him, but we know who he really is. As someone has said, we have met the enemy, and they are us. The servant is not the first to be despised, rejected, or a man of suffering. King David was all of those when he fled from his son Absalom, as we read in Second Samuel 5.30. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. 
and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. But the suffering borne by this servant is not his own, and does not result from his own sin, nor does he bear it merely for another individual. As it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The answer to the question, why, is Isaiah's testing truth. Because of God's love, his Messiah would choose to suffer. But why? Isaiah drives the golden spike in to complete the unthinkable truth. He would choose to suffer in order to reach the unreachable. And the unreachable are us. Those who do not understand regard the servant as struck down by God, Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Just as Job's friends thought his sin must have caused his suffering, and just as Jesus' disciples asked him in John 9 too, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, those who saw Jesus on the cross assumed the worst. Didn't Moses say that anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse in Deuteronomy 21-23? Numbers 25 verse 4 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Yet all this was God's will, as we read in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why? Because, as it says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because God, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ellen White writes in... God's Amazing Grace, page 172, What a price has been paid for us! Behold the cross and the victim uplifted upon it. Look at those hands, pierced with the cruel nails. Look at his feet, fastened with spikes to the tree. Christ bore our sins in his own body. That suffering, that agony, is the price of your redemption. End of quote. And so to finish the day, the weight, the guilt, the punishment for the sins of the whole world, every sin by every sinner fell upon Christ at the cross at once as the only means to save us. What does this tell us about how bad sin is that such a price had to be paid in order to redeem us from it? What does it tell us about God's love that he would do this for us even at such a great cost? Thursday, March 4, a transforming reparation offering. 
question, what does it mean that the servant's life is an offering for sin? Let's look at Isaiah 53 verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The Hebrew word refers to a guilt or reparation offering, similar to what we read about in Leviticus 5.14 to 6.7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, with your valuation in shekels, of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering and he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest so the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation, as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance, in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering." He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbour about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbour, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. And we also read about this in Leviticus 7, verses 1 to 7. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering, and its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. 
which could atone for deliberate wrongs against other people, as we read in Leviticus 6, 2 and 3. If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbour about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from, extorted from his neighbour, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swells falsely, in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Such sins were singled out by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1 to 3, and here specifically in Isaiah 10 verses 1 and 2, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice, and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And Isaiah chapter 58 has them as well. Also, the sinner must restore to the wrong person that which was taken, plus a penalty, before offering the sacrifice to receive forgiveness from God, as we read in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4-7. to 7. And we'll compare that with Matthew 5, 23-24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In a case of inadvertent misuse of something that belongs to God, the reparation goes to him, as we read in Leviticus 5 and verse 16. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing, and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. Now we can understand Isaiah 40 verse 2, where God comforts his exiled people by telling them, they have paid enough reparation for their sins. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But following the reparation, there must be a sacrifice. Here it is in Isaiah 53. God's servant, instead of a ram, is led like a sheep, to the slaughter. As you read in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. On behalf of people who have gone astray, as you read in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Although cut off from the land of the living, in verse 8 of chapter 53, completely consumed in the sacrifice that kindles the flame of hope for us, the servant comes forth from death, the land of no return, to receive exaltation. See his offspring and prolong his days. We look at Daniel 9:26, And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And Isaiah 53 verses 10 to 12. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labour of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And that brings us to our next question. Look up each of the following verses. How does each one reflect the basic the same basic message as Isaiah 53. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And Philippians 3 verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And First Peter 2 and verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And so to finish today, summarize in a single paragraph the good news of Isaiah 52:13 to chapter 53, verse 12. Friday, March 5. From the book Our High Calling, page 44, we read, Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree. What must sin be if no finite being could make atonement? What must its curse be if deity alone could exhaust it? The cross of Christ testifies to every man that the penalty of sin is death. Oh, must there be some strong, bewitching power which holds the moral senses, stealing them against the impressions of the Spirit of God? End of quote. And from Selected Messages, Book 1, page 304, The law of God's government was to be magnified by the death of God's only begotten Son. Christ bore the guilt of the sins of the world. Our sufficiency is found only in the incarnation and death of the Son of God. He could suffer because he was sustained by divinity. He could endure because he was without one taint of disloyalty or sin. Christ triumphed in man's behalf in thus bearing the justice 
of punishment. He secured eternal life to men while he exalted the law and made it honourable. End of quote. And that brings us to our two discussion questions. One of them is very long. Question 1. Isaiah 53, 7-9 descends to the depths of the abyss, the servant's death and burial. How many aspects of these verses were fulfilled at the end of Jesus' life? And we're going to read the end of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But first of all, Isaiah 53, verses 7-9. to He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Each of the Gospel writers provides the story of what happened to Jesus and what he did for us in those last days of his life. They're all long stories, so I will just choose to read the one from Mark today. Otherwise, we'll be here for a very long time. Mark 14, beginning at verse 53 And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants, and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girls saw him again, and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. 
Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marvelled. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they request. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated, place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above, The King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, 
there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion, who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming, and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marvelled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And question two. Looking at the last quote above by Ellen White about Christ's death magnifying the law, what does she mean by that? How do we understand his death as proof of the perpetuity of the law? So to summarise this week's lesson, Having told about the birth, identity and career of God's Deliverer, Isaiah finally reveals the supreme tragedy that gives us hope. To reach, save and heal lost people, including us, God's servant voluntarily bears our suffering and punishment. Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Vodka for Easter and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Sergei Sokol, chief engineer at a beverage company in northern Kazakhstan, was pleased when a co-worker declared during lunch break that people should celebrate Easter with a shot of vodka, painted eggs and kulich, a traditional Easter bread in the Orthodox Christian faith. Many people in Kazakhstan celebrate Easter with vodka, painted eggs and kulich. What does the Bible say about Easter? Sergi asked. The co-worker didn't know what to say. He had never read the Bible. Sergei ran to his office and returned with a Bible. 
With the assistance of a concordance, he and several co-workers unsuccessfully searched for a mention of Easter as a holiday celebrating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But they did find numerous references to the Jewish Passover, which in their native Russian language has the same name as Easter, Pashka. The only food that the Bible mentioned as being eaten at Pashka was roasted lamb or goat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Where is the vodka, painted eggs and coolidge? a co-worker exclaimed. Sergi smiled. He liked those conversations. They led to Jesus. Co-workers didn't speak so openly about the Bible when Sergi first joined the company. He was open about being a Seventh-day Adventist, but his co-workers thought his faith was odd. That guy is a sectarian, they whispered. Sergi did not mind the disdainful remarks and prayed for wisdom to share his hope in Jesus' soon coming. He wondered how he could share literature. Then he remembered that every co-worker had a birthday. He began to congratulate co-workers on their birthdays and to present them with gifts of Ellen White's books, The Great Controversy and Steps to Christ. Co-workers read the books and began asking questions at lunchtime. When the local Adventist church opened an urban centre of influence offering free massage therapy on its premises, Sir Jay invited co-workers to sign up. Three women came and he gave them a tour of the sanctuary, small hall and the children's room before the massage session. The co-workers praised Adventists after receiving ten days of massage therapy. We thought you belonged to a sect, one told Sergei during lunch break, but it turns out that this is a church and a good church. Sergei said he doesn't feel like a missionary for sharing Jesus. I don't know that I'm doing anything special, he said. This is just what I do. And there's a photograph of Sergei right here with his Bible um, on the left side of the page. Part of the 2017-13 Sabbath offering helped open the first Seventh-day Adventist preschool in Sergei Sokol's hometown, Pavloda, in Kazakhstan. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind. It's supported by the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel Australia and is rebroadcast by Christian Record Services and through podcasts at It Is Written in the United States, Hope Channel Germany and through Apple iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, God is always faithful.